Roll that beautiful bean footage. We could get sued. I've said it before. <laughs> that dog's dead. This is Martini. You're, you're listening to Martinis and the Macabre, part of the Murderly Network. A bi-weekly podcast that fucking kicks ass! <laughs> <laughs> there you go. No. Thank you for listening to the Martinis and the Macabre podcast. This show contains graphic content and explicit language and is intended for immature adult audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Detective Snuggle Bunny is on the scene. Okay. Shoplifter. What? Had a shoplifter. What, at your store? Yeah. Yeah, nothing new. Nothing new. If I had wheels, I'd be a wagon. I mean, whatever. What do you do in those situations? Well, I went in there. But, if you're there, here's what you do. You go fucking ham. If you see it. If you're 100% sure somebody pocketed something... You are well within your rights to go 100% haywire. Don't put your hands on them. But you could be like, Motherfucker, I just fucking saw you. I'm going to call the goddamn cops. Put that shit back. Get the fuck out. Don't ever come back again. You can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if they make a, if they bolt to the door, you let them go. Because you don't chase them. We learned that lesson a while back. I don't know if I... Did I brush on that? Did I touch on that? On, on, I know you've told me. I don't know if you've mentioned it on the well, podcast. We had a while back. Um, we're talking like a year and a half ago, maybe, give mm-hmm. or take. This woman that worked for us, she was she caught a guy trying to shove vodka into his pants. No, he didn't try. He did. He was successful. and He believed in himself. Yeah, he went for it. And uh, to her credit, which I give her credit for this. Because you're going to see here soon, I'm really going to come down on her. It's going to sound like I'm victim blaming, but I'm really going to come down on her. But she, uh, he came up to the counter with like a little purchase, right? And so she rang it up, and then she rang up the vodka he had tucked in his pants. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was like, ah, okay, <laughs> that's good. So far, so far you've got my interest. So so far you're doing good. And he's like, oh, that price isn't right. And she's like, oh, but it is <laughs> because you have vodka in your pants. <laughs> She said, you could take it out or keep it warm. Doesn't matter to me. This is what you owe. That's when he made a break for the door. So, she ran after him outside. Now, when you do that, that's like rule number one. That's liquor store 101. Don't chase them. Because she ran outside and jumped on his back. And... His friends got out of the car and tuned her up. They worked her over. Next thing you know, she's face first on the concrete and she has to go to the ER. She had to have her eye glued shut. And that bottle of vodka, that cost the company $12, I believe. But now it's a big fucking ER bill. Mm-hmm. And that's where I come down on her. Where I'm like, you know what? You should thank your fucking lucky stars. They just knocked you out. They could have had a crowbar. Mm -hmm. They could have had a shotgun. They could have murdered your ass. Yeah. You know, it's like, and that's what I tell people when I interview them now, like that's now a thing I have to talk about during an interview. I have to tell them if they make a break for the door, let them go. It's insured. Everything in the store is insured. We can replace it. We can't replace you. Yeah. That doesn't mean go into any liquor store and start stealing shit. No, no. (laughs) Oh God. Do you know why you're under arrest? Billy told me to. No. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's the part where I really come down on her. When I was told about it by the general manager, I was like, what the fuck was she thinking? She wasn't. Did she think in her head that like, like there's that, that song. I don't know who's singing. I want to say Creed. But like, she's like, there goes my hero. That's Foo Fighters. Yeah. Watch him. At him. And then she's like, I'm not, not on my watch. And next thing you know. Broken blood vessels in her eyeballs. <laughs> so it's like, it's like, what the fuck were you thinking? You know? And 
Anyway, so yeah, you're allowed to go ape shit, but I wasn't. I wasn't there when this happened. It was uh, wasn't on my shift, but um, had to have a talk with my employee. Not over the shoplifting thing, because hey, they get one by you. They get one by you. You can't get mad at somebody for that. You know, you could say, hey, be more vigilant. I guess. I don't know. What do you say? No, I don't. There's know. There's not much you could do if they're out of eye. If they're out of eye shot, nothing you could do. Here's what gets me is a couple of days before she was caught trying to steal a two liter. I actually tried, went out with, went outside with it and he went outside. I was like, Hey, if you don't bring that back, I'm calling the cops. And she was like, well, can't you just look the other way? And he said, I'm going to look at you while you bring it back inside. Mm-hmm. And so she brought it back and then she came back the next day and said she was sorry. Then she came back and then she stole a bottle of fucking Jose Cuervo. And he was like, they went, they bought one. But when he went to restock, two were missing. So it was a honeypot. Mm-hmm. Meaning, um, where I work, we, we I call it a honeypot because what they'll do is one will come in. They're together. But one will come in and look you in the eyes and talk about just how beautiful the blue the blue in your eyes really makes your whole face sparkle. It's very distracting. Yeah, and that smile, it's a very inviting, warm smile. I bet you donate to charity, don't you? Next thing you know... Her friend is cleaning you the fuck out and you're dumb enough to where you're like, really? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I have, um, I, ha- I know we have to get started soon, but, uh, let me see if I can pull up. Uh, that's one of them right there. Uh huh. That's the other right there. Socks and sandals. I never get it. Yeah. There he is looking. Now there they are. And... Wait for it. Right in her jacket. There it uh-huh. went. See it? So what's great is now it's a, um, I told I told him to tell you know them the next time they come in is, uh, hey, I hope you enjoyed your tequila. The manager saw the video, saved the video, and is contacting the police. So you're kind of in a lot of trouble right now. And then just to get him freaked out and scared. It's going to be mm-hmm. great. Next week's going to be fun. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm. I'm glad you have video of them taking it, so you have evidence. Yeah, my office is covered in red string. You'd be proud. <laughs> I pieced it together. <laughs> you followed the leads. Uh, yeah, yeah. for a while, all the red string went to one post-it note that said, why? And it was circled a lot. <laughs> Has pictures of people and X's over the faces. You know, <laughs> I got to the bottom of it, guys. It's okay. Billy's in the corner crying. <laughs> Billy, why are you crying? It's ten thirty in the morning. What are you doing with a bottle of Jack? You don't even drink her liquor. It's all connected, man. Follow the money. <laughs> Follow the Jose. Follow the Jose Cuervo. <laughs> All right, guys, welcome to Martinis in the Macabre, the podcast where we drunkenly discuss morbid murders, mysteries, and mayhem. My name's Erica, joined by my husband and co-host, Billy. You know, Jose Cuervo, why didn't you just take something that was better? I mean, Jose Cuervo's made with blue agave. You could just have something that's 100% agave. I mean, Casamigos was right there. That's George Clooney's tequila. She could have just grabbed that. I don't know what you're saying. If you're going to steal, go for gusto. You can tell I'm not a tequila drinker. <laughs> oh my god. I only drank tequila one time. There's a reason it was only one time. <laughs> I'm not encouraging crime, but are you going to rob a bank or are you going to rob a hot dog vendor? Like, come on, step your game up. If you're, if you're going to do it, do it. But Wow, you're really pushing people to get on this stealing train, huh? Guys, please don't. Going to be a monkey, might as well be a gorilla. <laughs> That's what I say. Going to be a monkey, might as well be a gorilla. Please don't steal from your local liquor stores. Just or any do store. That. Don't yeah, do that don't, at any store. Don't, don't steal. Don't do that. I mean, could you imagine taking a pair of shoes from Kmart when you could have taken a pair from Foot Locker? Like, why Why did you do that? That was so stupid. Were you, were you practicing? Was this a dry run? Because maybe. Maybe it was. Maybe it was a dress rehearsal. Yeah. They kind of did good. I caught them, but whatever. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you for joining us. And as you heard at the beginning of the episode, we finally got a hold of our dear patron, Kirsten, and had her intro the show. We thank her so much for that wonderful discussion that we had. Her, her whole family, they're awesome. They are. And uh, we're glad we finally 
got that taken care of. It's been going took long enough. Didn't, months didn't and it? months, and we it's finally got it narrowed down where we had a meeting of the minds. So yeah, yeah, good to get that one under our belt. So uh, let's get into this week's episode. This week we're talking about two people that walked into a liquor store, ba bum, and went to the tequila, ba bum, and then one of them put tequila in their pocket, ba ba bum. Thanks, guys. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. Is that supposed to be our end song? And then then there's our son's music. (laughs) Everybody scream. Yeah. That's no no. All right, see you in two weeks. Uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> Nurr. Nurr. No, I don't approve. <laughs> All right, so for this week, I found a lady. We're going to talk about a woman named Sharon Elizabeth Kinney. Ooh. Who has one of the longest outstanding arrest warrants for murder in Kansas City, Missouri, here in the U.S. She also holds one of the longest outstanding felony warrants in U.S. history. And she even has a nickname in Mexico, La Pistolera. Her story is a wild ride. So let's get into it. Fuck yeah. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Sharon was born Sharon Elizabeth Hall in Independence, Missouri on November 30th, 1939 to parents Eugene and Doris Hall. The family moved from Missouri to Washington when Sharon was in middle school but moved back to Missouri shortly thereafter. In the summer of 1956, she met a man named James Kenny at a church function. Sharon was 16, and James was 22, and a student at Brigham Young University in Utah. That's... Statutory. That's like six years, dude. Yeah. (laughs) I had to count that out. Now, I'm sure back then, it was probably kind of allowed, but today that would be statutory. It's weird the shit you probably could have gotten away with back then. Mm-hmm. Like, she could be 16, and he could just walk right by her and never even give her a second thought. And walk up to her dad and be like, I wish to court your daughter. <laughs> you know? <laughs> You're like, you have my permission, my boy. <laughs> Call me dad. Well, the two dated throughout the summer. James was Mormon, but it didn't stop him from doing the hanky-panky with a little Sharon there. Now you see the hanky-panky's butt stuff oh no i'm talking about the j later on butt stuff maybe i don't know i wasn't we don't know maybe i could be right there's a 50 50 chance really but they were getting it on one way or the other put my wiener in a pizza deliver it porno style i don't know i've never seen you know all the porn i've seen in my life i've never seen a pizza delivery guy what why are you looking at me like that you're weird. I'm not weird. It's all, it's like a main, like a stereotype. You want to put your dick through a pizza? Yeah. Yeah, it's called living. God. And if it's erect, how are you going to keep the box closed? How are you going to do the reveal? It goes in through the top of the box, like the top portion, the, the, the smaller part. The, you mean the side? The side, yeah. And then you put your dick in there and you're like, yeah, meat lovers, and then... They open it up and they're like, it's your cock. And then they have sex. Oh, makes total sense. God, read a book. Jesus Christ. Sorry. Jeez. Well, James returned to college in the fall. And Sharon saw James as an opportunity to get out of independence. So she wrote to him shortly after he returned to school, telling him that she was pregnant. Bum, bum, so it was bum. more than just butt stuff. According to my high school health class. Yeah. Yeah. And back in the 50s, if you knocked a chick up, it was wedding bells for you. Yep. So he took it. It's one of those things where the dad, the woman's father, will just put his hand on the man's shoulder and be like, I expect you to do the right thing, son. Mm Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? That's kind of how that goes. Yeah. So James took a leave from school. Bye, school. And traveled back to Missouri and married Sharon on October 18th of 1956. Now, the license was a sham, listing Sharon as an 18-year-old widow. Damn. For unknown reasons, Sharon would tell people that she had been married when she lived in Washington, 
and that her husband had died in a car accident. That would have made her like 15 when she was supposedly married. But, okay, already though, why? Yeah. What's the point of the... Is it to garner sympathy? Well, she also then claimed to have miscarried once she and James were actually married. I'm thinking it's to garner sympathy. But she most likely was never pregnant. So uh, we're already seeing the signs of a manipulative and compulsive liar. Who wants sympathy? My first husband died. My baby miscarried. I'm surrounded by death. I don't know if that's how you talk when you're from Missouri, but I think that I think I nailed it, actually. Sharon went to Utah with James and converted to Mormonism, and the two had a more formal wedding the next year in the Salt Lake Temple. James finished his fall semester and then put school on hold so the two could return to Independence and get jobs. This Mormonism? Is that what it's called? Mormonism. Mormonism? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mormonism? Mormonidity. like christianity like Mm -hmm. warmanity get in there okay i don't know (laughs) sharon babysat and worked in shops and james was an electrical engineer on the night shift at bendix aviation so he was more than likely the breadwinner and mormons when you go to utah you have you just you just you're a mormon as soon as you like file your taxes (laughs) they just check it off like yeah you're a mormon Actually, I'm agnostic. Sorry, you mis you mispronounced Mormon. <laughs> so was he at church? Oh no, I'm not Mormon. Yeah, but you are. But you kind of are. You're in Utah. You know how like it doesn't matter if you're atheist or not, but if your mother was Jewish, you you're are Jewish. Jewish, no matter what you think or anything. That's just law. Mm-hmm. It's like that's what that's what Utah that's what Utah is. It's like as soon as you if you go into Utah, like as soon as you cross a state line and stop at a gas station and get a pack of cigarettes, the minute you, your you foot are, touches the pavement, you are a Mormon getting a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> just have to get used to it. <laughs> Which would not be allowed in Mormonism. You can't have nicotine, caffeine, any of the eens. Fuck. Yeah. What about heroin? No. Uh, cocaine? No. Nah, that doesn't sound fun at all. Yeah, not fun. Not even caffeine. What do they do? Just sit around and read books about God or something? Yes. I think. I guess that's fulfilling if you're a dweeb. <laughs> My apologies to anyone if you're Mormon or from Utah. I know, right? This is all in jest. (laughs) (laughs) I hope Billy doesn't go to fucking Utah. He's going to pants and give everybody, he's going to pants everybody and give them Indian burns. (laughs) Billy the Snuggle Bunny Jones is going on a noogie rampage. So, uh, yeah, they moved back to Missouri, started working, and Sharon became pregnant. Again, if you believe she was pregnant the first time, which probably wasn't. Yeah, the two had a baby girl they named Dana in the fall of 1957. The two rented a house next to James's parents at first, but eventually had a ranch-style house built in the town. Sharon was a spender who expected to be kept with the finer trappings of life. Okay, so what is a ranch-style? Do we live in a ranch-style home? Yeah, this would be considered a ranch-style. Like the one level. Okay. Yeah, kind of so spread out. what's a colonial? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> It's not important to the story, Billy. Good enough for me. So, yeah. She liked to spin. She liked to have nice things. She spent a lot of time shopping and eventually started having affairs. Ruh-roh. She's a little bit of a slut. By the time their second child was born, a boy named Troy, Sharon was in a full-blown affair with a man named John Boldis that she had gone to high school with just a couple of years prior. By early 1960, James was pretty much fed up with Sharon spending and also had a pretty strong suspicion that Sharon was cheating. He started talking about divorce, and on March 18th, he sat with his parents, telling them that Sharon had agreed to a divorce on the conditions that she could keep the house and their daughter, and that he pay her $1,000. His parents, being devout Mormons, encouraged him to try to make the marriage work. We want you to suffer and not be happy and let her keep cheating on you so you can make the marriage work. Yeah. That's like... The worst possible advice. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't want to be married to you. You don't want to be married to her. Why? It's like when you're, if you're trying to make it work, that's like holding in a shit. Yeah. Just take a shit already. <laughs> well, around this time, Sharon made a comment to her lover, John, that she would give him $1,000 to kill James or to find someone who would. Now, John would later say that Sharon may have just been joking, but she most likely was not. The very next day, March 19th, 
would end the divorce debate. Sharon would claim that around 5.30 in the afternoon, she heard a gunshot ring out from the couple's bedroom where James had been napping. She said she ran into the room and found two-and-a-half-year-old Dana sitting on the bed next to James holding one of James's guns, a 22 caliber high-standard semi-automatic target pistol. James was bleeding from an apparent gunshot wound to the back of his head. She called the authorities and James was rushed to the hospital but was dead on arrival. No fingerprints were found on the pistol, which should have proved odd, I would think. Wouldn't the daughter I mean, even a partial something? Yeah, no. they said that she was holding the pistol, so there would be a little kid's fingerprints on it. You think they'd be fingerprints somewhere? Mm-hmm. They'd be his fingerprints from when he cleaned it. Yeah, something. They'd be something on there. The police didn't bother to swab either Sharon or Dana for gunshot residue either. Ugh. I swear, like sixty to seventy percent of every case we cover is cops really not. Doing their job. Yeah. Many people told the police that James would let his daughter play with his guns. So they had Dana tested to see if she could pull the trigger on a matching gun, which she was able to do. Now, I would hope that if he actually did that, which don't ever do that, but if he did, that it was at least empty. Yeah. Unloaded. Locked. Something. Something. But, uh, yeah, don't ever do that. Don't let your kids play with guns. But yeah, she was able to pull the trigger on a, an exact same gun. And with no evidence that it was anything more than a tragic accident, police kind of closed the investigation. Sharon tried to reclaim James's gun from the police, which seems to be an ongoing thing with these women that we cover where they try and get the gun back from the cops. Um, they wouldn't return it. So she secretly had a male friend buy her a twenty-two caliber automatic pistol. Now, why wouldn't they give it to her? I mean, the case is closed. She well, should be able to claim it. They quit investigating, but they didn't, like, say, oh, case closed, you know. Uh, they still kept it for evidence, but they had nothing other than... Okay, I got it. Okay. Because if the case is closed, she should be able... Because she's married. She's still married to him, so she should be able... She's next of kin. Mm-hmm. She could walk up and be like, give me the gun, and they have to surrender it to her. Yeah, I misspoke. I shouldn't have said they closed the investigation. They just kind of, like... Well, there's not much more we can do. Yeah. But we're going to keep the gun just in case. Put it, put that file in the miscellaneous pile over there. We'll, we'll get around to it. Yeah. So when her friend told her that he registered the gun in her name, which you would never be able to do today. You can't just go buy a gun for somebody and register it for him. I believe that there is called a straw purchase. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she asked that he have it re-registered under someone else's name. Little sketchy. Yep. James was buried and Sharon collected his insurance policies worth $29,000, which is around $248,000 in today's money. So about a quarter of a million. Yeah. Not bad. She didn't waste any time spending the money either, or putting herself back on the market. God, you could buy so much fucking ramen noodles. (laughs) At least two. At least two of them, for sure. (laughs) On April 18th, just a month later... She went to a car lot and bought a Ford Thunderbird with a chunk of the insurance payout. The dealer that sold her the car was a man named Walter Jones. He was a former Marine with a wife of five years and two children. But that didn't stop him from having an affair with Sharon shortly after she purchased the car. They probably had the affair in the car. Ew. (laughs) Ew. And that's that old leather. (laughs) Old leather? At the time it was new leather. Yeah, but now it's old. (laughs) All sweaty, <laughs> stinky. Sure. Butt stuff. I'm sure it smelled like new car at the time. Well, not after they were done. <laughs> no, probably not. Sharon smelled thought... like a new car with ass and ketchup. Mm-hmm. Sharon thought Walter would make a good second husband, but he wasn't interested in leaving his wife and breaking up his family. He refused to go on a trip to Washington with her, and when she returned on May 25th, she informed him that she was pregnant. And he was the father. Walter didn't respond the way she wanted or expected. He broke off their affair and said he was staying with his wife. And she really was pregnant this time. Oh, okay. I have to say that now. I was wondering, too. Because she set a precedent. I was like, okay, was she really, though? But was it his? Was it the John guy from high school? Mm. I don't know. The next day... Was it the checkout guy at Piggly Wiggly? 
Could have been. We don't know. She she got around. Yeah. Multiple. I'm just mentioning the ones that have a part in this story. Well, there's nothing wrong with a woman having sex. That's fine. But if you're married with children, though, not that, that part. That's a problem. Not that part. But you know. <laughs> so the next day, after he said he wasn't leaving his wife and to get the fuck away, Sharon contacted Walter's wife Patricia via the phone. She told her that Walter had been having an affair, but claimed it was with her quote-unquote sister. It was my with sister. Sharon said it was with she her sister. She tried to say, yeah, that she had a sister, and the sister was having an affair with Walter. For a second, I thought it was like she called her, it was like, he's fucking your sister. No. <laughs> like, that was a weird phone call to get from somebody you don't no, know. No, Sharon pretended it was her sister that she didn't have. Uh, the two met in person that evening to discuss it further. Sharon would later claim that she dropped Patricia off after the meeting somewhere near Patricia and Walter's house, but Walter would later say that Patricia never came home that night. The next day, Walter filed a missing persons report and began calling everyone he knew trying to find Patricia. A co-worker that carpooled with Patricia told Walter that Patricia said she had gotten a strange phone call from a woman who wanted to meet with her. She had asked the co-worker to drop her off on a corner where she was supposed to meet up with the unnamed woman which the co-worker did. All of the co-workers in the car had seen a woman waiting for her in a car, but didn't recognize her. But they were able to give a description to Walter. Walter thought that the description sounded an awful lot like Sharon Kinney, so he called her asking if she had seen or spoken to Patricia. She admitted to meeting her to tell her about the affair, saying that she dropped her off near the Joneses' house. She claimed that she saw Patricia talking to a man in a green Ford, Suspicious of this, Walter met with Sharon that night and demanded she start telling him everything she knew, even holding a key up to her throat as a threat. She didn't give him any more information, but quickly called on her high school fleeing John Boldus when she was alone again. She asked him for help finding Patricia. So now she's going to go find this woman. This sounds like a soap opera. Now, for some odd reason, Boldus suggested they search a secluded area about a mile outside of Independence, a spot that the two had gone on dates before. There, shortly before midnight, they came across the body of a woman in a black sweater and yellow skirt. It was Patricia Jones. So, she... it was where him and Sharon had gone on a date before? Mm -hmm. That's fucked up to dump a body there. Yeah. That's kind of a big fuck you. Mm-hmm. She had been shot four times with a twenty-two caliber pistol, the fatal wound entering her head near her mouth with an upward trajectory. There was also a shot that went all the way through her abdomen and two that went at a downward trajectory near her shoulders. Powder burns were found on her skirt showing that at least one of the shots was at extremely close range. The initial finding of the ME was that she had died around 9 p.m. on May 26th, the night she met with Sharon. Patricia ended up being buried on May 31st. So Sharon, Walter, and John were all brought in for questioning on the 28th because her lover's wife is now dead, but her and her other His lover... lover's wife is dead and... No, her lover's wife is dead and her other lover was with her to find the body of his see, lover's wife. <laughs> her, You said her lover's. Who's the her in that? Sharon's lover, Walter. Oh. So her lover's her wife. Her lover's wife. Yeah, gotcha. Was found by her and her other lover. Man. It's a lot of lovers. <laughs> so much, there's so much love. This is a love story. This is a love story for the ages. Yeah, all three of them were wrangled up and brought in for questioning on the 28th. Both Walter and John signed written statements to the fact that they had been sleeping with Sharon, and both agreed to polygraph tests, which they supposedly passed. <laughs> the cops sat down. The, the, the detectives sat down. I was like... God, the amount of fluids that have passed between you guys is fucking unreal. Well, Sharon gave a verbal statement, but refused to sign a written statement or take a polygraph test. Her brother Eugene was brought in for questioning also, but he refused to answer any questions. Now, unless John, the guy from her high school, knew where the body was... I can't see him suggesting they go look at that spot in this secluded area. So either he was involved. Had to have been. Or he was lying to cover up for Sharon and saying that he suggested they go look there. Or it was a total shot in the dark that is oddly specific. 
very oddly specific. Not anywhere near where she was supposedly last seen. Yeah, like, God, you know where she could be? That, um, that share woman. Um, where'd you first fuck her? Oh, over by a tree, or, you know, like, let's check that. (laughs) Could it be? I don't know, maybe. Let's go look. (laughs) And the fact that her brother refused to answer any questions kind of makes me wonder if he was involved somehow, too. At least afterwards, even if it was just getting rid of the body or something. Well, police continued searching the crime scene for evidence, trying to find the gun or the bullet that had gone through Patricia's abdomen, because it was a through-and-through shot. Through-and-through shot with a twenty-two pistol? Yep. It just must have hit complete soft tissue and Or if it's, um... I don't know about the one that she had Odude go out and get, but if it was the one before, if it's a target pistol, maybe it's a twenty-two long rifle round in a pistol. If it's that as a target pistol, yeah, that would do it. Yep. But a twenty-two pistol round, Well, wow. they dragged the bottom of nearby bodies of water and even sent in a troop of Boy Scouts to help search for the gun. That's how you get your fucking badge. They wrangled up Boy Scouts to look for a murder weapon. Yeah, that's what you do. 1960 is fucking weird. I know. Now I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about all the times our, our son was like, can I join the Cub Scouts? I'm like, now I'm thinking like, no, don't. They're going to turn you into a fucking cadaver, you know, uh, cadaver searching dog. <laughs> no, let's not do it. I'll show you how to tie knots. It's cool. Don't fucking worry about it. Well, they did find a single 22 caliber... And it was a long rifle shot. Was I right? Yes, it hey, was. Hey, it was a long rifle. The one that had most likely gone through Patricia, of course. Because a twenty-two cal, like a, just a twenty-two pistol round, I feel like I could neo that shit. I feel like I could probably catch it if I'm quick enough. <laughs> like I, like I can move to the side, go and catch it, like in the Matrix or some shit. Because it's a twenty-two. Uh, it worked on her husband. Pistol round. No, he had a target pistol. That probably took a twenty-two long rifle. True. And if it took a twenty-two long rifle, no, that's a wrap. That, yeah, that'll do it. That will go through your abdomen. Mm-hmm. Twenty-two caliber pistol round just piss you off. <laughs> hey, quit throwing rocks. Oh, that wasn't a rock. That was a gun. Is that a tw- like really? You're like rubbing your forehead. It's <laughs> leaking blood, and you're like, "Ow, dick! What are you doing? That's a gun. Oh, damn! I'm strong as shit. Look at me." Don't try it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> You're really leading people astray, I'm Billy. I'm fucking talking. <laughs> well, the police were able to rule out that it was the 22 that had killed James Kenny, as it was still in police custody. But the male friend that Kenny had asked to buy a 22 pistol for her came forward and told the police about the purchase. They searched Kenny's house and didn't find any guns, but they did find a box that looked like it had previously held a gun. She admitted that she had... What the fuck does that even mean? I'm assuming a gun box. A I would hope it's case. a hard case. Yeah. Because if he showed up with a shoe box, it was like, oh, it looks like a gun could have been in here. Yeah, I guess a gun could have been fucking in Whatever anything. it was, she admitted that, yeah, she had a pistol. Yeah. First telling authorities that she had lost it on a trip to Washington. I just... I lost track of it. I mean, that thing just got... It grew legs and it walked away. I, mean, I just... You know, you turn around for one second. But later, she just claimed that it disappeared. She didn't know what happened to it. Sharon was arrested for the murder of Patricia Jones at her home on May 31st at 11 p.m. The Mormons took the gun, didn't they? Sure. They were like, this is how we do shit in Utah. Doubt it. Mormons! (laughs) Now, having some hindsight, the Jackson County Sheriff asked the prosecutors to charge her with another murder as well. The death (laughs) of her husband, James Kinney. Since you got the book open, she was charged. throw it at her. (laughs) She was charged for his murder as well, but was released on $20,000 bond while awaiting a preliminary hearing. Walter... You could be released on bond? Ah, pardon me. Pardon me again. For murder? Yeah. For murder. Yeah. You could be let out. Yeah. That's fucked It's just, up. it's up to the judge and the state that the laws are in. But yeah. Man. Walter Jones was held as a material witness on June 2nd. My research said he was released on $2,000 bond, but I wasn't aware of anyone having to bail out for being a material witness. I know that authorities can hold a material witness indefinitely now, generally 
since the terrorist attack on 9-11, but I didn't know that you could or had to bail out. That was a new thing for me. Yeah, that's new. Anyway, the initial autopsy that had been done was criticized by law enforcement and the prosecutors. The bullets in Patricia's body had not all been removed and her stomach contents had not been tested. The ME, Dr. Hugh Owens, argued that he had removed one of the bullets and he hadn't seen any stomach contents to test. So Patricia's body was exhumed on June 17th for the remaining bullets to be removed and to check the stomach for contents. Sharon's preliminary hearing was July 11th. She was initially denied bail, but that judgment was overruled and she was released on $24,000 bond on the 18th. The trial was delayed as Sharon was extremely pregnant, because she didn't lie about it that time, and she gave birth to another daughter, Marla Christine, on January 16th, 1961. I'm not going to lie, that's kind of a cute name. Marla? You don't, you don't hear Marla that much anymore. Patricia was tried separately for each of the murder charges. The trial for Patricia Jones began in the middle of July in 1961. An all-male jury was seated, and the trial lasted about 10 days. They deliberated for a little over an hour and a half, and she was found not guilty. Oh, of course. They cited that there were, quote, just too many loopholes, end quote, in the prosecution's case. There was no proof that Sharon's missing pistol was the murder weapon. And I know... This case is circumstantial, but I think the likelihood of her being the murderer is stronger than a quote-unquote reasonable doubt. I think it may have turned out different if there had been some women on the jury because females know how horribly ruthless other females can be. We can find the cunt in the middle of a crowd. (laughs) Yeah. We can point them out and be like, no, that bitch did it. (laughs) Yeah, you know what's weird with guys, we're really not that bad for the most part. Mm -hmm. But I remember you many times, you're just like, no, I'd rather hang out with dudes. Yeah. The chicks are too much. There's just... <laughs> can't do it. There's too much drama. Yeah. I don't like it. <laughs> we, I remember that one part you laughed at so hard was on Family Guy when they redid the um, Star Wars thing. And they're doing that... They're in like a the briefing thing and talking about attacking the uh, Death Star. And then Peter's sitting there. I, he, I get, uh, he played Han Solo, I believe. And... Lois played Princess Leia. Mm-hmm. This will make sense in a second. And then the guy that the, the woman that plays like his boss at the brewery, that lady, uh-huh. um, she came in. and was like, "Oh, you know, we're this is what this is what our plan of attack." And then Peter was like, "Oh, look, it's the only other woman in this entire series that's not you know you." Mm-hmm. And then Lois looked at her. And she was like, "I don't like her." <laughs> you, I remember you saw it. You laughed. You're like, "That's how. That's how that is. Mm-hmm. That's how that shit is." Yeah, you can just pick up on it right away. Girls, you know what I'm talking about. Come on, ladies. Come on, ladies. (laughs) Well, uh, once the trial ended, a juror came up to 21-year-old Sharon. Remember. She's 21 She's only 21. I lost track of her age. Wow, 21. It's only been a few years since she got married and started having babies. So, yeah, she's 21 years old. And a juror came up to her and asked for her autograph. Which was photographed, and you can find that online. Damn, I wish, I wish we reached a level of our podcast where, like, if somebody saw one of us, they're like, "Can I have an autograph?" I'd be like, "Wow, this is weird," and you're really off-putting asking. My me bank this, but... wants mine when I have to sign a check. Damn. Mm-hmm. Jealous. Yeah. <laughs> you're so much cooler than me. You could do it too. Your name's on the account. I don't want to. Mm. I'll let you do well, it. then, fuck you. I'm going to fucking pay for my autograph. Paid? What? You're uh, going to charge people for your autograph? A hug. Oh. Because one size fits all. And hugs are contagious. And so are smiles. Hey, let's hear about this fucking death shit. <laughs> so, yeah. She is not only found not guilty, but then people are wanting her autograph. But, uh... Besides all this, she was returned to jail immediately after because she still had the trial for her husband. Well, actually, trials, plural. <laughs> the first one began in January of 1962 and only lasted three days. The prosecution hit hard on motive, the fact that James wanted a divorce and that Sharon would get his large insurance payout, which she immediately used to buy large ticket items, including the Ford Thunderbird. Where I think butt stuff happened. Probably. In the back seat. Trans Am? No, Trans Damn. Oh my god. 
you're so pleased with yourself right now. You see my face? This face of, I'm not amused. Oh, you see mine? Mm-hmm. I'm a jolly fat motherfucker over here. This is great. <laughs> Dork. Well, the jury bought it and found her guilty after five and a half hours of deliberation. Many appeals were put in, citing that the verdict was found based on, quote, surmise and speculation, end quote, rather than, quote unquote, substantial evidence, issues with jury selection, procedural errors, just a big list of multiple appeals that were submitted. Long story short, Sharon ended up being granted a retrial and was released on $25,000 bond. The second trial started March 23rd of 1964. Jury selection the initial day ran almost 14 hours. Jury selection ran 14 hours? Yeah, the judge had to decide between sequestering everyone overnight and finishing up the next day or just running long and getting it done that day. So he ran it long. and did a straight burn. Yep. I got you. Well, that's kind of smart. And then you have to fuck with it the next day. Another all-male jury was sequestered. But a mistrial was declared just days later when it was revealed that a law partner of the prosecutor had once been retained by one of the jurors. So now we have to have a third trial. You don't have reserve jury jurors? Uh, they'd already started and... But during the OJ trial, jurors were replaced. Yeah, I don't I don't know they had alternate jurors back then. Uh, alternate. I, was th- I said reserve, but that's what I... Uh, yeah, what you said. That's yeah. what I meant. Okay. The final trial began on June 29th with another all-male jury. Sharon even took the stand on the last day, denying any involvement in her husband's death. My the kid jury... did it! Because <laughs> they walked in and she was holding a gun. The jury deadlocked 7-5 to five in favor of acquittal, so another mistrial was declared. Jesus! So, I lie, that wasn't the final trial. A fourth trial for Sharon was scheduled for October of 1964. But she was having none of it. She was it, over it. It never happened, so technically the last one was the final one, even though another one was scheduled. Oh. Because uh, in September, still free on bond, she left her children with James Kinney's father and traveled, or fled, whichever you choose. Whichever one tickles you. To Mexico with her alleged lover, a man named Francis Samuel Puglis. Nice pronunciation. You're doing good. Thanks. You've had a little bit to drink. She and you tr- don't talk good when that happens. I talk just fine. Okay. Sure. 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 Burning a hole through your head with my eyes. Oh. Crushing you. What are you flexing? My cunt. Yep. (laughs) She traveled under the name Jeanette Puglis, posing as his wife. She was allowed to leave the country under the terms of her bail but the company that posted her bond had a contract that prohibited her from leaving the state without written permission from the company's agents. I've never heard bail of a murder suspect being like, well, if you want to leave the country, we're cool with that. That was a weird time. Yep. The two brought a couple of guns with them and registered at a hotel, Hotel Jim, as husband and wife. They would later say that they went to Mexico to get married. Sharon claimed she felt unsafe in a foreign country, despite them having brought guns with them. So she bought another pistol in Mexico. Yeah, why not? You feel unsafe? Get a gun. Make you feel safe. On September 18th, 1964, Sharon left the hotel without Puglis to run an errand, you know, because she was so scared to be in this foreign country that she went alone. Yeah. She ended up in a bar. Alone where she met a Mexican-born U.S. citizen named Francisco Parades Ordonas and followed him back to his room at Hotel Levada. She later claimed she just went with him because he wanted to show her some photographs he had. I went with a stranger that I met at a bar in a foreign country to look at pictures. Yeah, right. That's... That... No. That's like, really, if you'd have given it five more minutes, you could have probably came up with something better. I was scared, so I went by myself and met a stranger at a bar and went back to his hotel. Yeah. Because of pictures. And then he was like, he said something, and then I thought, I was like, did you you say scrapbooking? And then we we went to go look at pictures. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Five minutes. Five minutes, you could have came up with a better fucking story. (laughs) She said he began making sexual advances towards her, 
Well, usually when you leave a bar with some guy and you go back to his hotel room, that's kind of what you both are expecting. Yeah. But she said she wasn't expecting that. She was supposed to look at pictures. Uh, and then he started hitting on her. Weird. And what did she have to do to defend herself other than shooting him with her trusty pistol? Yeah. She couldn't, you know, just say stop or smack him across the face or call for help. She pulled out her gun and fucking shot him in the chest. That does stop somebody. Yeah. Struck him in the chest. He collapsed. And an employee heard the gunshot and entered the room to try and help. And Sharon fired again, hitting the employee in the shoulder. He fled the room and locked Sharon inside before calling the police. Later on, he was named Employee of the Month. (laughs) Sharon insisted she never intended to kill Francisco, only scare him. Which... By pointing the boom end of the gun at his chest and pulling the trigger. Yep, especially when that round went in his chest. Mm -hmm. Probably scared shitless. Yeah. And when the employee came in, she thought he was trying to attack her. So she shot him too. Because the employee was in on it and he was running in to help his buddy. No. He heard you fucking shoot somebody and he came in to find out what the hell was going on. Well, uh... I bet to this day... He could be a, he could be laying down in his bed and somebody could be getting shot in his bathroom. He's like, you know what? Mm-mm. Nah. Nope. Nah. Not this time. Just hearing that sound makes my shoulder hurt. Mm-mm. You thought Mm-mm. you had me, but nope. Nope. You're just going to have to come in here and shoot me. <laughs> <laughs> You're free to leave, sir. If you want, I don't care. <laughs> well, police, like us, believed she was full of shit. There you go. That she most likely tried to rob him, and when he resisted, she shot him. She was arrested on charges of homicide and assault with a deadly weapon. In her purse, she had a gun and 50 bullets. A little excessive, if you ask me, to Man. carry around in a purse. That must have been one heavy as hell purse. She could have used that. She could have hit 50 bullets. She could have hit him with the purse. Yeah. It really broke his jaw and shit. Yeah. I wonder how much it jangled and jingled when she walked. Probably a lot. Yeah. And, of course, in her hotel room that she had with her lover... Another lover. They found the other two guns that they brought and another supply of ammo. Now, Puglis was taken in and charged with entering the country illegally. <laughs> Doesn't the government say that only happens the other way around? Yeah. Oh, political. Whoa, look out. <laughs> and for carrying an unlicensed gun. One of the guns found in the couple's hotel room was later matched by ballistic testing to be the same gun that killed Patricia Jones. What you a know, surprise! You know, I had a feeling. Yeah. <laughs> but according to Double Jeopardy, she couldn't be tried again because she had already been acquitted. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. It wasn't just a mistrial on that one. They found her not guilty and asked for her autograph. So, technically, she could have gotten... She got the, away with murder. She, she could have gotten that gun back from the evidence, right? No, that was the one that killed... Her lover's wife. Oh, I know. But I'm saying she could... Did she get that gun back? Uh, she fled before... Oh. They weren't going to release... she could have. She was still awaiting trial. They wouldn't have given it back to her while she's waiting on trial. Uh, okay. So, Sharon and Puglis were tried in the summer of 1965. Puglis was cleared of his charges and deported back to the U.S. Thought it only happened the other way. Wait, you did again. <laughs> Sharon was convicted of homicide on October 18th and was sentenced to 10 years in prison, which doesn't really seem like a lot. But a lot of countries south of us, like their max is 20 years. Uh. So Mexico, Brazil, places like that, a lot of them, you can only max out at like 20. Mm. So 10. Meh. Why not? It's something. She began serving her sentence in a women's prison where she earned the nickname... La Pistolera, which means the gunfighter. The Mexican press subsequently adopted the nickname as well. I mean, not so much a gunfighter, just a shooter. Mm-hmm. Nobody shot at her. Oh, she probably told them a bunch of bullshit. We know how she likes to oh, lie. Oh, probably. <laughs> she was just like, we had a U standoff. Because it Mexican stand- mm-hmm. She's a Mexican person. It was, it, 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 it was one of you guys. It was, it was a y'all standout, standoff. That's what that was. But no, he was Mexican born, but he was a U.S. citizen. Oh, never mind. Oh. Okay. So she killed another American that was born in Mexico in Mexico. Weird. Everything about the story is just weird. (laughs) I don't like it. That's why I picked it. (laughs) So she appealed, of course, and overturned the charges of attempted robbery. 
but they upheld her murder conviction and actually increased her sentence from 10 to 13 years, <laughs> saying her original sentence had been too lenient. <laughs> so that appeal didn't really work out for her too well. On December 7th, 1969, two years into her sentence, Sharon wasn't able to be located for the 5 p.m. prisoner count. It was shrugged off and not really taken seriously until she missed the next count later in the evening. Did she fucking do frain it out of there? Hmm, good question. After sweeping the prison and still not finding her, they finally notified the Mexico City police at 2 a.m. She'd oh. been missing since 5 p.m. Eh, whatever. You know, if I was if I was if I was the cop that answered the phone, I'd be like, wait, what time? She's gone. Like, yeah. I'm not even gonna bother. You waited this long. I'm not even gonna bother looking for her. Fuck it. You do it. We'll we'll give you gas cans so well, you can go search for her. They actually arranged a manhunt all across Mexico, focusing on the northern states, as she may have been trying to get back into the U.S. or to get the last known whereabouts of another prisoner that she had become close with. And I actually read that she had had some female relationships while she was in jail and in prison as well so man she just she was trying to find her female lover maybe she was just she was just a whore no a slut no easy no just like i like she likes she likes having fun i don't know <laughs> you're too nice i don't want to label anybody i feel like i'm going to offend her or something i don't care Call it what you want yeah fuck it she's a slut whatever <laughs> It was initially speculated that she bribed the guards to look the other way while she made a run for it. Bribed the guards with that ass. <laughs> but it was also, I'm sure she probably boinked some guards while she was in prison. Why not? You're already in prison. I mean. Just because you're in a room doesn't mean you don't get horny. Yeah. And she probably got horny a lot because she got horny a lot before she went to prison, so. Kind of her thing. Yeah. I would call her La Vagina. I know that's probably not the Spanish word for it, but it sounded good. La vagine. Is that it? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to go with it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they thought maybe she bribed the guards, but it was also discovered that they were significantly understaffed at the prison and that oversight was fairly lax. There was also a strange blackout at the prison that night around the time they believed she escaped and a door that should have been locked was found to be unsecured. So Great. there you go. Authorities searched until the end of December before declaring that they had no further leads and they weren't going to continue to try and keep searching for her. She had become fluent in Spanish while in prison, so she could have gotten along well in any Spanish-speaking area. It was a virtual needle in a haystack. Mm. Fifty years later, there still has been no sign of La Pistolera. She's never been spotted or reported or declared dead, and she would be almost 80 today. If she's still alive, maybe sipping a margarita on a beach somewhere in Mexico or South America. But her warrants are still active, so keep your eyes peeled, people. And you'll see her. She'll be sipping a margarita, sitting on a dude's lap, <laughs> and she's got a gun. She's all old and wrinkly. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the case of Sharon Kinney, La Pistolera, triple murderer and escaped convict. I told you it would be crazy. This shit was crazy. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please go to iTunes or wherever you can leave a rating and a review because they really help us out by moving us up the charts and letting other potential listeners know that some of you like us. And if you send us a screenshot of any review that you've left, we will send you a free sticker. And please check out the other great podcast on the Murderly Network when you have some time and show them some love. You can find all of us at murder.ly on the interwebs. If you would like to be a real baller and financially support the show, like Kirsten, please go to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash martinis in the macabre and make a pledge. Even just a $1 pledge gets you access to our patron-only audio each month and a shout-out on the show. And for just a few dollars more, you can get some exclusive goodies, like doing the intro to the show. Yeah. We've had some of you guys up your pledges recently, and we totally appreciate it. And we've got some new ones that will be official today if you are listening to this on release day. They are Harleen and Veronica. Thank you, ladies. And if anyone else joins before this episode comes out, sorry we missed you. <laughs> I gotta start making some ribbons. Yep. And once again, thank you to our other patrons, Kirsten, our baller, yo. 
Bender, Bonnie, Bridget, Caroline, Chelsea, Christina, Cooper, Corina, Corey, Donald, Dylan, Belfast Grace, Hunter, Jennifer, Kate, Christy, Kristen, Lady Danger, Marie Maxime, Molly W., Monica, Sue, and Vanessa. You awesome snuggle bunnies have our undying love. Hugs and kisses, kisses and misses. And you can now make a one-time donation in the amount of your choosing via our PayPal link on our website, martinisinthemacabre.com, and it's near the bottom of the homepage. So scroll down. Homie. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Martinis in the Macabre and on Twitter at Martini underscore Macabre. And be sure to join our fan page on Facebook as well at Friends Who Like Martinis in the Macabre. We love interacting with you guys and feel free to post whatever you like on the pages and to share our posts because sharing our pages, posts, and tweets helps to get the word out. So share away. Yeah. Didn't you ever watch Care Bears? Care Bear Stare. Sharing is caring. There we go. Visit our website, martinisinthemacabre.com, to learn a little bit about us, listen to our complete episode catalog, or to listen to all the songs created by Minimus Noah that Billy sampled for you at the beginning. (laughs) 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 And we use those at the end of each episode, and keep listening because another one will be at the end of this episode. Be sure to find both of his albums, Views, and his new release, Bog, on iTunes, Spotify, and many other music providers. There's also a link for Bog at the top of our website. I've tagged it to the header of the homepage and it's on every page at the very top click on it and it will connect you to multiple platforms his music really is great a lot better than i could do yeah for any questions comments or topic suggestions shoot us an email at martinis in the macabre at gmail.com or you can use the contact page on the website once again thanks so much for listening stay safe snuggle bunnies and we'll see you in two weeks bye-bye bye-bye
Yeah. What, what about heroin? No. Uh, cocaine? No. No, that doesn't sound fun at all. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.